0: This is Archive Atlanta, episode 28, Capitol View and Capitol View Manor. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lamos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. Before getting started today, I just want to say thank you to everyone that has left a um, a review on iTunes or on Facebook. It's the nicest thing to read. And if you have made any requests, I hear you, Decatur, just know that I'm working hard on getting those done really soon. If you've lived in Atlanta longer than a few years, you've seen the rapid changes that we are currently going through. An increase in population, increase in new corporate headquarters and jobs, and still an increase in income inequality. I think Atlanta leads the nation in that. The bell line has brought economic activity to neighborhoods in Atlanta that have not seen it in decades. And there's a way that we talk about these places that I want to address. I've seen some comments lately talking about a part of Atlanta being, quote, not there yet, but, quote, on its way. And real estate listings will title things as undiscovered or hidden gems. And I'm not innocent. I've talked before, you know, and I've said, oh, I discovered this new neighborhood. But I'm trying to be really conscious about my words. Technically, yes, I have just discovered some of these neighborhoods and their incredible stories, homes, and people. But I want to speak about it in a way that does not negate that these places have been called home by people for almost a century in some places. So that's my PSA for this week. Today I'm talking about two of these changing neighborhoods that are in close proximity to the Atlanta Line: Capitol View and Capitol View Manor. And yes, they are two different and distinct neighborhoods, but I wanna talk about them together as they not only share a name, but they're a really perfect example of two different designs and time periods um, in Atlanta suburbs. Just like Reynoldstown, Town, this was a neighborhood I had never really experienced, aside from the occasional drives down Metropolitan, but once I did, I was in love. I think it was the fire department episode had me going to Capitol View Manor to see the fire department there, and I turned onto Manford Road and I'm like, okay, how do I get one of these houses? I, I, can someone buy me one, please? <laughs> Capitol View is older than its siblings, so we're going to start there. The lots that make up Capitol View were deeded in the land lottery from 1821. A little strange to imagine, but this area was originally part of Henry County, as Fulton did not exist until 1853. So we have a random group of white men now in possession of this land, and we're not really sure if they actually settled on it, kept it, or sold it. I think I talked about this in the Vinings episode, but, you know, not everybody kept that land. Sometimes they just flipped it. What's interesting is that this area initially was purchased by farming families, and it stayed very rural until 1900. We do have records showing that the earliest family to occupy the land are the Perkersons. And this may sound familiar because there's a road and a park that still exists in the surrounding area. Thomas Jefferson Perkerson moved from South Carolina to DeKalb County in 1835. He would acquire two landlots in Henry County, so about 405 acres, for farmland. And he built a home in what is now um, Sylvan Hills on Perkerson Road. He and his wife, Isabella, had seven kids, and they owned eight slaves, which were used to farm the land. Thomas would go on to become sheriff in the 1840s, and his son would serve in the Confederate Army during the Civil War. There is a letter, um, one of the Perkerson daughters, I think, wrote a letter to her brother, And it gives us a pretty good idea that the family actually stayed in their house and on their land during the entire war and even the Battle of Atlanta. The Deckner family, also another name you see in the neighborhood, arrived to the south in 1866. Frederick Deckner immigrated from Germany to Wisconsin in 1842, and it was actually at the urging of his son that he would move down south. Charles was a Union soldier stationed in Atlanta, and he saw the quality of the soil and the climate, and he knew this would make great farmland. The Deckners purchased land right after the war, and they built a house that stood um, right where the Atlanta Metropolitan College is now. They brought their excellent farming skills, growing numerous types of crops, and they would actually go into the city proper to sell them. Now here is the amazing thing about Capitol View and the Deckners a whole bunch of Deckner family homes still exist. If my overexcitement every time I say those words does not give it away, this is just so rare in Atlanta. And for me as a history lover and a student of the city's history, I was shocked that I had never heard of these homes still standing, considering their age. Charles Deckner and his wife Maddie built their first home, and they call it a Center Hall Cottage, in 1867. And it still stands today. Now you can't see it. I'll explain in a second. Um, So what they did was in 1867, they built this really small house. And then in 1870, they built a bigger home right next to it. So it fronts Metropolitan Parkway uh, right at the intersection of Deckner Avenue. And I have a, a really bad picture of it, but I'll put it up on the website. So the 1870 house, you can see from the road and the 1867 house is hiding behind it. There were six Deckner children, and we have three of their homes also still existing along Metropolitan. And what I think is so sweet is that they're all in a row. Personally, I don't want to live next door to my parents, but these are different times. And this was, you could kind of tell if you imagine nothing there, this was really a prime spot on the land. Layla Deckner's house stands at, it's either 1460 or 1466 Metropolitan. Um, Then you have Alan Deckner's at 1500, and Carl's is at 1510. So if you're standing on Metropolitan, first, make sure you're on the sidewalk. But you can see that there is a house missing in the row, and that was Virginia's house. So it was in bad shape, soon to get new owners and a new lease on life, when it was gutted by a mysterious fire. I don't want to go into the juicy details because we don't actually know what really happened, but just after the purchasers pulled out of the deal, the property was purchased by the city, and it was demolished to make a space for an entry into Emma Milliken Park. Fun information that was sent by a Capital View neighbor is the Deckners were really close friends with the Callaways, as in Callaway Gardens, and the homes had over 200, I think 2,500 azalea bushes. So all the way until 1969, this row of houses would be photographed all spring long. Today, there are less than 25 azalea bushes left. So you may be wondering, how do we go from farmland to develop subdivision? And that answer lies in Atlanta streetcar. In 1895, the Atlanta Traction Company operated a line that went from McDaniel Street through Dill Avenue, basically to connect Fort McPherson with downtown Atlanta. So about five years later, this land is developed first by a man named William Beatty. He's one of Atlanta's earliest realtors. He develops a neighborhood, he even finances some of the housing construction, and this is very much targeted to white Atlanta families as a quiet, peaceful, mid-price suburb. Keep in mind, this is outside of the city limits, So the draw is having fresh well water, no city sewage, and a brand new um, school called the Stewart Avenue School. The advertisement actually states, quote, on one of the few streetcar lines that does not pass through Negro settlement, end quote. And speaking of the streetcar, Capitol View is a perfect example of a streetcar suburb, and it's the prime reason it differs from Capitol View Manor. It's hard to think about this now because we have so many modes of transportation. You know, we just added scooters to the list. But at the turn of the 20th century, living three or four miles from the city proper was kind of like living in Macon. It just wasn't feasible to make a daily trip to the city. So the streetcar line um, that ran on Dill Avenue, that was just a big deal for people. And then what's really fascinating is where that streetcar ran, you can see these little bunches of commercial buildings pop up, and that usually meant that a streetcar stop was right around that spot. Another landowner whose name has lingered in Capitol View is Andrew Stewart. He owned a hardware business, then became a tax collector, and eventually represented the fifth ward in the city council. Stewart Avenue was named for him. Now, if you haven't lived in Atlanta pre-Olympics, you might not know what that street is. Funny story is that I only know because when I first moved to Atlanta, I did a lot of driving around with my ex-husband and we were going down Metropolitan and he's like, oh, this is where we get our fake IDs when we were in high school. So I learned the story um, of the street name change. And I've said this before that the changes of Atlanta street name definitely needs its own episode. But what was happening, especially coming up to the Olympics is that many streets were renamed to drop any kind of negative connotations So, Stewart Avenue suffered this fate, and it was renamed Metropolitan Parkway in 1997. Now, Stewart Avenue was a really important thoroughfare, being paved in the 1920s, and then it became part of the famous Dixie Highway in 1925. This was a huge deal, because the Dixie Highway was connecting the tip of Florida to the top of Michigan. So, as you can imagine, this is an economic driver for Capitol View as people are driving through, and the advent of the car would shift sort of, quote-unquote, the center of Capitol View from Dill Avenue to Stewart Avenue. So aside from the row of Deckner Homes on Metropolitan, the earliest homes in the grid layout were built in the early decades of the 20th century. Capitol View would be annexed by the city in 1913, and that would further bring new homeowners to the area. There is a boom in the entire city in the 1920s, and I'm going to wait to talk about that when I get to Capitol View Manor. But you can see this play out in structures in Capitol View. So in 1922, Capitol View Free and Associated Masonic Lodge is completed, designed by Robert Pringle and laid with brick and marble. At four floors, it would be retail on the bottom, offices on two and three, and then the Masonic Ritual Space on the top floor where over 500 Masons would actually practice. It was named Capitol View Lodge because it sits atop of a rise with a view of the Georgia State Capitol. And that's actually the story of the name of the neighborhood, too, that it's high enough that you could see the Capitol from there. What's really great is that this Masonic Lodge is also still there. I took a photo for you guys. I put that on the website. Um, You can drive today. It's not a Masonic Lodge anymore, but it looks just as it did when it was built. And um, it's only looking for tenants. Now, if you go there now, directly across the street, you'll see a row of four columns in front of the new library. These columns were part of Capitol View Baptist, the earliest congregants date to 1858. But the church was formally organized in 1908. Now, this is the second building they had is on the corner of Manford and Metropolitan. And it was completed in 1927. This is definitely a preservation loss for the neighborhood because they demolished the church, I think, within the last five years. And what they did, I guess as a consolation prize, is they kept the columns and they put them up front and they kept some of the stained glass windows, which are now inside the library building. Another church in the neighborhood, Capitol View Methodist Church, they built their second building in 1928, so right after the Baptist Church. And thankfully, that one still stands, uh, and it's on Dill Avenue. Earlier, I mentioned the Stewart Avenue School. Well, in 1927, the community opened a brand new school called Capitol View Elementary. And it's designed by my very favorite architect, A. Ten Ike Brown, which is probably why I love it. I always love a building when he designs it. Now, it still stands as well. It's Originally much smaller, uh, and if you look at it, you can tell that there were additions put on each end, and I think they did it in the '40s and the '50s. Now it looks vacant, as far as I can tell. So this is definitely something to keep an eye on in the neighborhood. The Sylvan Theater was open in 1939 with one screen and room for 400 moviegoers. It was a huge source of entertainment for Capitol View community, but also it was the closest off-base theater for those that were stationed at Fort McPherson. The first movie they played was Treasure Island, and they would show a kid's movie every Saturday morning, which became a ritual for the kids that lived around it. Now, I have a photo of the Sylvan Theater because it just doesn't look like a theater. Um, It's the saddest-looking building, and it's hard. It definitely reminded me that sometimes you drive past something and you dismiss it, but you never know the story that actually has behind it. Now, Capitol View also has a huge 50-acre park called Perkerson Park, and that was created in 1944. So there was a smaller park um, called Ragsdale Park, and I think they kind of redeveloped it into this big park they have now. In the 1940s is when we see a lot of returning GI housing, uh, more development in the neighborhood. And then white flight hits Capitol View around the 1970s. So there's urban renewal happening um, in downtown, Interstates, just, you know, a lot of things that are pushing black families into neighborhoods that they were previously barred from living in. So let's talk about Capitol View Manor. The manor's original land was deeded in the land lottery in 1828 to a white man named Jeremiah Benton. Now it changed hands throughout the years leading up until the war and then right after the war. Until 1880, Clark College relocates to the area because they purchased about 450 acres. So the Freedmen's Aid Society was kind of the parent organization of Clark College, and they purchased this land um, for kind of a fun reason. They would use it to grow crops that would feed the students in the school cafeteria, but they would also teach students how to farm. After the Civil War, lots of African-American education opportunities are centered around teaching farming or trades. In 1899, Clark College sells some of the land to the Atlanta and West Point Railroad to extend their line. And if you didn't know, this is now the Beltline. So I kind of, you know, I kind of feel like we should thank Clark University for the Beltline. I talked about this in the Gaines Hall episode, but when Clark College and Atlanta University merge in the 1920s, they move over to Vine City, and the land that would be Capitol View Manor is sold. It's purchased by a group of investors led by Joseph Boston, who was secretary and treasurer of the Georgia Savings Bank and Trust Company, and the rest of the guys were basically other bank executives. Together, they hire Olin Freeman in 1926 to design a new subdivision. Olin was a 34-year-old boys' high graduate whose designs are very much Olmsted inspired. I've mentioned Olmsted before, but in case it doesn't sound familiar. Frederick Law Olmsted is considered to be the father of landscape design or landscape architecture. And he designed Central Park in New York City and the Biltmore Estate, among many, many other things. And we have quite a few Olmsted designs in Atlanta and a lot more Olmstead-inspired. By that, I mean that we're going to try really hard to connect a project to Olmstead, even with six degrees of separation. So I bring that up. To say that Freeman trained under Orrin Kaufman, uh, who actually did work with Olmsted designing Druid Hills, so we got three degrees of separation. But uh, Freeman's plan for Capitol View Manor was very much Olmsted influenced, and you can definitely see that when you drive through. Let me go back and explain Atlanta in the 1920s, like I said I would do earlier. In the first three decades of the 20th century, Atlanta's population triples and continues to grow as it annexes neighborhoods one after the other. We see the building of some of our iconic downtown office buildings, as well as a new richest apartment store. In 1925, Mayor Ivan Allen launches something called Forward Atlanta. And it's a national advertising campaign that basically says, hey, Atlanta is really great. You should put your business here. And it was really successful. We got our Sears headquarters, which is now Pond City Market, and a GM manufacturing plant. On the African-American side, you had Auburn Avenue booming, numerous um, office buildings popping up there as well, and churches. What's also happening is that we are making the final transition from railroad town to cars and airplanes. And the new subdivisions that develop in the 1920s are very much designed for the automobile. Case in point, Capitol View Manor. It was advertised as a new and popular place to be and marketed to those upper middle class Atlantans that could afford a car because that was not the norm as it is now. When you look at the layout of Capitol View or Pittsburgh, they're platted in perfect grids because of the streetcar. Capitol View Manor is this winding, roundabout automobile development, and it's annexed by the city in 1925. So, that really helps make it more marketable because we have city services. So, lots begin to um, be advertised in 1926, but the development's a little slow because, you know, we have this thing called the Great Depression and then we have World War II. Another quick tangent that I just want to go off on for one second. Um, the other day, I went to a lecture presentation at Georgia State about the Mapping Inequality Project. So I have a link in the show notes for you guys, and I highly recommend checking it out. But it's a site mapping the 1930s New Deal-related homeowners loan corporation records. So these are maps created by realtors, tax assessors, etc., and they're reporting on what kind of neighborhoods this is. Mostly this is used by mortgage companies and banks to decide if they were going to give loans um, for people to buy houses there. What's really, really fascinating about Capital View and Capital View Manor is that the latter, the manor, was labeled as the color blue. So blue was the second best out of four choices, and it's labeled that these properties are safe to purchase. You can pull up the actual record and see what the assessors wrote. It's really crazy. And in the detrimental influence section, it says that uh, Capital View Manor is, quote, proximity to the railroad and Negro property to the eastern boundary, end quote. It also goes on to list, like, the race of everyone that lives there and the occupation. And the occupation of the residents for Capitol View Manor is business and professional men with a few clerical workers. On the other hand, Capitol View is coded yellow, and that was third on the list and second to the worst, which was red. The occupations listed there were mostly clerical workers and some factory. So, this really sums up the difference between Capitol View and Capitol View Manor. The first was a blue collar streetcar suburb, and the second was a white collar car owning subdivision. Even adding Manor to the name was the whole point. They wanted it to be fancier. And the earliest homes in the neighborhood when you first turn onto Manford Road, those are all the uh, English Tudor style, which was, again, supposed to harken back to this upscale design. What I love is that right at the entrance to Capitol View Manor, there's a small, triangular, maybe a little bit circular park in the center, like a little island. This is original to the first design. Fire station number 20, which is right across the street from this little park, was first completed in 1926. And the plan was to serve um, all the nearby neighborhoods, so Pittsburgh, Capitol View, and Capitol View Manor. And it's the only commercial structure in the Capitol View Manor neighborhood. So it's purposely designed to look like a house. And when you drive by, I think you do a double take, like, hey, is that a fire department? Um, so it, it fits perfectly in that street, and it has been there for almost 100 years. There's also a park in the neighborhood I mentioned earlier, um, the Emma Milliken Park. Now, the city purchased that land from the Deckner family in 1937, and then they named it after a longtime neighborhood resident who was also the mother of an alderman, and I think her son became a senator as well. Now, I'm going to end the story of Capitol View Manor with a really fascinating piece of history that I learned. So when the group of white male investors bought the property from Clark College, they assumed the mortgage, and they entered into an agreement to repay it within five years with 6% interest. In 1930, Joseph Boston, the main investor, dies, and the loan was reorganized but then defaulted again in 1933. Now again, this is the Depression. So Clark University is owed, at this point, $71,000. And the stipulations of the agreement allow the investors to sell it on the courthouse steps to recuperate any money they can to pay their debt. So it was sold for $10,000 to the Georgia Savings Bank and Trust Company. Now, if you're paying attention in the beginning, this is the bank where all of those investors held prestigious positions. I mean, heck, two of the guys still worked there. So Clark University loses $60,000 in the deal, which was supposed to be part of their planned endowment. So there you have it, the story of Capitol View and Capitol View Manor, two historic Atlanta neighborhoods that are changing rapidly along with the rest of the city. If you've never explored them, I highly recommend you go and take a look. They've become my favorite parts of the city, and you can get there via the newest portion of the Beltline. Thank you always for listening, and remember to tag Archive Atlanta in any photos you take while exploring. Keep leaving ratings and review if you're enjoying the podcast. I hope everyone has a great weekend, and I'll see you next week.